1 John chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words, or speech, but with actions and in truth. Good morning, church. Good morning, everybody. Uh, So here we are in the month of September already. In the words of a man that I grew up hearing preach when I went to college in Michigan, summer done come and went. And when June 21st rolls around, don't blink because you might just miss it. You might miss the summer. It's here today and it's gone tomorrow. So as a youth minister, at this time I feel compelled to give a sermon that hopefully sets the tone for all of you in particular who will be going back to school on September 5th. And for those of you who won't be, don't panic. I think there is still something here for you that you can get from this sermon. So will you bow with me as we just have a short moment uh, to talk, a short talk with God in prayer. God, we thank you for this day. This day when we can come together and hear another encouraging word from your holy book. Uh, We pray that you will help us focus in on Jesus. That you will help us learn from his life. And that you'd help us to be Jesus in this world. We pray all these things through Jesus' name. Amen. So there's a reason God gave us four people's accounts of the life of Jesus. If you made a pie chart of the content found in the New Testament, you would see that nearly half of it would fit in the category or under the category of Gospels or the life of Christ. You would think that with all that space allotted to the life of Christ, that Christians would have no problem emulating Him. But if we are honest with each other, We often don't. Jesus says in his word that we should go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and in the Holy Spirit, and that we would go out in the world and teach people to obey all that God has commanded. It's a command that's so important that it has come to be known as the Great Commission. So this morning, I'd like us to narrow in on one account found in the Gospels that I think can pave the way for fulfilling this important command of Jesus. And so I'm going to ask you, if you will, to take out your Bibles and to open up to Luke chapter 5, verses 12 through 16. It's a very short section, just like our reading was short 
Luke chapter 5, verses 12 through 16. And let's look at this story together and then have a, some talk about it. Here's what the Bible says. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. He said, I am willing. Be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Then Jesus ordered him, Don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet the news about him spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. So there are things that happen to people today that automatically move them from being in with a crowd to being totally out of a crowd. And in the first century, that thing that could happen was leprosy. Years ago when I was working for the church in Windsor, I went to meet a man who had earlier visited our church for the first time. He came in right at the end of our service. And as I observed, and, and, and he, I, I, he uh, explained to me that he needed a place to stay, and I said, well, you can stay with us. And he told me, you better come to see where I'm staying first before you agree. So I went to meet him. I went to the hotel where he was staying, and as I observed the deplorable surroundings and his dilapidated vehicle, which he had driven from New Brunswick after some conversing, I put my hand out and I, I shook hands with him. And as a, that was just as a parting gesture. And while our hands shook, I thought in my head, these might be the roughest hands that I have ever held. And as we shook, he informed me that he had been in prison for 20 years. I thought, hmm. I had to ask, for what? And he said he murdered someone. And so here I was holding the hand of a murderer. I said, who did you murder? He said, I murdered my landlord. I'm serious. This, this is the story. And my... My attitude changed from one of caring about him to wanting to run as far away from him as I could get. And he sensed it. He sensed that I no longer wanted to be there with him. And so he held my hand a little tighter and pulled me closer. Then feel, that feeling he had of me wanting uh, to run the other way would be similar 
to what lepers would deal with on a regular basis. You see, many of those with leprosy may have never even gotten close enough for anyone to hold their hand. The only embrace they may have received might have been at birth from their own mothers or fathers. And after that, a life of examination by priests and a finger-pointing of people saying, that's the guy, stay far away from him. So God, in Leviticus 13, came up with laws. And you'll see all what was required of those who had this disease. For the safety of those who had not been infected, God made laws on how those with this horrible disease were to live. Those laws included instructions on where they were to live, what they were to wear, on what they should say. Yes, it's true, on what they should say. You heard me correctly. On what they should say. If this man's condition was bad enough, did you know he had to walk through, uh, that, that he actually had to yell to people that he was unclean. He had to inform people that he was unclean. So all those around him would be able and be aware of his condition. So perhaps his condition was not in that worst of a state yet. But if you can picture the verses of verses 46 in Leviticus 13 that say this, as long as he has the infection, he is to live alone and live outside the camp. Those words must have played through his mind over and over and over again. This might explain why the leprous man fell to the ground and begged Jesus for a clean pronouncement. As always, Jesus' reaction shocks me. I don't know if it shocks you. If you read the Bible too fast, you'll miss seeing some of the most powerful lessons that are in Scripture. So here's what the Bible says. Jesus reached out His hand and touched the man. What did He do? Jesus reached out and touched the man. And we need to hear that this morning. We need to see, we need to see that this morning. And oh, how I wish we had video footage to see how those observing this whole situation unfold reacted when Jesus reached out and touched the leprous man. Jaws were probably dropped. And I bet all conversation came to a standstill. If we could freeze time to see the look on those fishermen's faces who just moments before made a decision to leave everything they had to follow Jesus. When they saw Jesus reach out and touch that leprous man, they must have been shocked. And as he approached, where, where they, uh, were they in, the, in mid-sentence talking about all the amazing things Jesus did, all for them out at sea, you remember? Were they thinking about how easy their lives would be now that they decided to walk with this incredible man? Were they like us? maybe deciding to walk with Jesus, often unsure of what being Jesus in the world actually even looks like. So prior to this, their hands only rode boats, held ropes, and caught fish. But now, Jesus was going to show them how those same hands would be used to reach out and touch people. So the lesson was in His actions. 
Because you know our actions speak louder than our words, don't they? Just as the disciples learn by watching, that watching Jesus, I'm sure, it's his hope that we too would learn by watching Jesus. In observing Jesus in Luke 5, we learn a bit about reaching out. Here's one of the things we learn. We learn where reaching out starts. Reaching out starts by hearing those around us. Yes, it's true. This is what Jesus did. He listened to the cries of people. As simple as that idea sounds, we need to be reminded of this, especially at this time. The other day, I watched a lady walking her dog right by the front of our house. She had one hand on her leash, the other hand on her phone, sending a text, and headphones wrapped around her ears. And she was walking. And I said, Hi! And she kept on walking. She didn't hear me. She didn't see me. If I had a need, she would have missed it. So for those of you that are young this morning, you need to know that you are being referred to by psychologists as the I-generation. Or I-gen, for short. You know why? Because two out of three teens have iPhones glued to their hands. And one out of every two teens have cell phones now that are glued to their hands. Does it not affect you when you look around and see how connected people are to their devices? It's a crisis. It's ironic that something that was designed to put us more in touch with people and the world is actually putting distance between us and people. Jesus was able to know what the leper needed because He first heard the leper. And I think we'd all agree this morning that we don't hear as clearly if we have a million things coming between us and people. So for you this morning... Can you ask yourself this difficult question? Here's the question. What is it that prevents me from hearing the voices of people around me? Is it that I have a short attention span? Is it that I'm tired of hearing all the problems people have? Is it that I'm totally exhausted because I've dug a hole so deep in financial debt that I just have no choice but to work every single second? Is it that I feel like I'm better than others and that everyone else is beneath me? Is it that I've placed more value on objects than I have on those that are made in the image of God who Jesus Christ died for? Is it that I've allowed one bad experience with a person to make me deaf to all others who share that culture or that religion? Is it that I fear what might happen if I give my attention to that one person? Is it that you are self-centered and would rather be doing something that serves yourself than lending an ear to a person who is in need? Is it that you've been taken advantage of one too many times and now you've put your hands up and said, uh-uh, never again? 
Have you forgotten that Jesus said it is more blessed to give than it is to receive? Whatever your answer is, will you do something about it today? Ask God to help reveal it to you so you can be more like Jesus. That's, this is what this is all about. What would have happened, church, if Jesus had not heard the leper? If He would have turned a blind eye to the invalid at the pool of Bethesda? If He would have ignored the woman at the well who later went on to tell her friends all that Jesus did? If He would have turned His attention to His own pain or been self-absorbed when the criminal on the cross said to Him, Remember Me when you come into your kingdom. What if He would have put His fingers in His ears when the disciples yelled out to Him, Master, can't you see we're drowning? If we are going to be like Jesus, if we're going to be reaching out people, we must be willing to hear those around us. And when you head back into schools, when you head back to your schools, go there this year with big ears. And when you go back to the office after this long weekend, go there with bigger ears. Wherever we find ourselves, when we leave here, we got to be willing to be like this so we can hear the needs of people. You know, reaching out involves being willing. Did you notice in that verse the Bible said Jesus was willing? We need to be willing to do challenging things. Things that you just aren't comfortable doing. It's hard because we live in a world that's all about comfort. And so when we come to church and people tell us we've got to go out and touch people, it's uncomfortable. But did I mention to you that Jesus reached out and touched someone that most people would normally run from? I know what you're thinking. You, you are doing what I did as I prepared this sermon. You're probably coming up with all the reasons why I can't make that statement. You, like me, want to say faith isn't risky. Why are we so quick to do that? Because a statement like that scares me. Why? Because I want to stay in my comfort zone. I want to stay in my little bubble and I want to roll around. I want to stay in my house. I want to stay in my office with my door locked. For church, we've got to be willing to go out. Where ministry took place for Jesus, yes, it happened in synagogues, but if you read those Gospels, you'll see it happened outside. Outside. You might say what Jesus did wasn't risky at all. He's Jesus. He's God. If the guy would have touched him, well, he would have just healed himself and went on living. This is just one example. We can't conclude from one example that faith involves being risky, Chad. We sure are good at coming up with reasons why we don't take risks for Jesus. If I say yes, then this will happen or that will happen. Church, what Jesus did was risky. He risked contracting the disease of leprosy. 
He risked being treated differently because of all the witnesses that saw him touch the leprous man. He risked facing alienation from his friends and his family. He risked being associated with the person whom others ran from. His riskiness didn't end with that story. You know Jesus spoke with women in public places? He respected children in the midst of conversations with adults? Do you know Jesus went in the homes of non-Jews and of people who were considered traitors of His own race? He spoke to prostitutes. He dealt with crazy people. People who lost loved ones. All the people Jesus interacted with leads me to ask the question, who in our culture today might Jesus be willing to take risks for? Gay people. Transgendered people. Atheist people. Muslim people. Poor people. People who have walked away from our church. All the people who often make us uncomfortable as Christians. Those are the people Jesus would take risks for. So let's not forget that Jesus, although He was God, was human. Those emotions we have that make us want to pull away from leprous-like situations, He felt them too. But He allowed His faith to prevail. He allowed His faith to drive Him. He allowed the mission for why He came to speak louder, to speak louder than any fear he might have had. You know, some time ago, Kim and I had an opportunity of helping out someone. He had just been released from prison for murdering someone. And he had started attending our Bible study when we were living in Evergreen Towers. You want to believe I had an eye on him when he came into my house? I remember telling him that if he ever needed a place to stay, he could come and stay with us. Not really thinking he would take me up on the offer. Well, about a month or so later, we got a phone call and it was him. He said, Chad, my friends had this party in my house and they came into my basement, my room, and they stole everything. And they flipped, they turned the place upside down. And I said, and? He said, remember you gave me that offer? where you said I could come live with you? I want to come. I said that? And then I said, well, i I, I got to go talk to Kim. I made the invitation before talking to Kim. So I went into our bedroom there, and we were uh, just before time of prayer, and I said, honey, i got something to tell you. Uh, that guy who murdered somebody, um, he, he wants to live with us. And I said, honey, well, what, what do you think of that? And uh, I, I don't want to miss these words because I thought Kim was going to get out of the room and leave. But she said, these were her words, well, honey, if he ends up killing us, we will be dying for something Jesus believed in. Well, that person ended up staying two years with us. And guess what? He didn't kill us. We risked a lot. 
We risked a lot when we did that and in that situation. But you know, it was all worth it when that guy came to us two years the very first day that we had our church building right here. And he made a decision that he wanted to be baptized. See, it was all worth it. It was all worth it when he said, I've met a lot of professing Christians in my life, but you guys, you guys showed me that you love me by taking me in. And in Hebrews, we are reminded by what the people in the hall of faith were commended for. They weren't commended for going to church every Sunday. They weren't commended for singing five hymns and ending with, Come thou fount of every blessing or attending church on Sunday evening and Wednesdays. Although all those things are commendable, they were commended because they allowed their faith to push them like strings behind an arrow. Noah, building an ark. Imagine building something 510 feet long and 50 feet high from the ground when there's not a drop of rain. Abraham, taking steps into territory he was unfamiliar with. Moses, parenting. Mo- Moses' uh, parents hiding him from, for three months, passing through the high, rapid, flowing waters of the Red Sea. People escaping the edges of swords routing foreign armies. If we believe, guys, that God is with us, when we do things for Him, we will be able to risk, be risk-taking people just like Jesus. That's what we read of in the hall of, Hebrews Hall of Faith. After Jesus' death, some of those who were closest to Him caught His risk-taking spirit. Peter, before the rulers and elders who could have had Him killed, looked them dead in the face and told them salvation is found in no other name but in the name of Jesus. And the Apostle Paul spoke these risk-reflecting words. He said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And John reminded us that greater is He who is in you than he who is in the world. And James reminds us that our faith must lead us to places where we are willing to, where we're willing to do things for those who are less fortunate than ourselves. He reminds us that faith without works is what? Is dead. And so I'm so glad this morning to say I'm a part of this church. I feel in many ways that I'm preaching to the choir because I believe in our church, that our church is made up of a lot of people who show that they have caught the reaching out spirit. It's one of the reasons why I believe we're seeing the kind of growth that we are seeing. As a church, we reach out when older people say, I'm going to take a week off of work, even if it means I won't get paid for it, and I'm going to volunteer in a position that I really don't really, I'm not even gifted in. I'm going to do that to help out and read stories for a week of vacation Bible school. You know, we have an elder that actually did that. We reach out when members in this church say, I can't go on that trip, but you know what? I have money. I'm going to give some money. I'm going to give someone money so that they can go and experience that experience. We reach out when we say, I'm going to help volunteer my time to work the camera so that people watching online can hear messages like this one. You know, we have a 13-year-old in our church 
that showed through her actions that she was going to reach out by writing ten puppet skits that were used for Ben Goff's Vacation Bible School and our Vacation Bible School. She wrote all ten of them. She's caught the reaching out spirit. We are reaching out when we are willing to put our hands in the back of a puppet, raise, our low, raise or lower our voices to teach valuable lessons to our children. We reach out when we say yes to hosting young people, even if they're coming from places that are less fortunate than when, where, where we live. We reach out when we are willing to devote an hour of time once a week to hear someone from another country as they patiently work their way through reading the Gospels. We reach out when we are willing to be present for people who come to our annual clothing giveaway. We reach out when we decide we're going to take some of the clothes that we so love, so much love, and put them and fold them nicely and bring them to the church throughout the week. We reach out when we decide we're going to sort clothes when we have opportunities to do so. Our children, they reach out. When you come in those doors on Sunday morning and our children pull you down to their level and they say, will you sign my paper? First hear me read 20 verses of a Bible that I've been memorizing. Do you know our young people are reaching out? This awesome things. That's something to clap about. We are going to stay a bit longer after church to socialize instead of making a quick dash for the door. We reach out when we are willing to pick up the phone and call someone who we've noticed has been away from the church for a long time. I could keep on going this morning. You know, church, exciting things happen when Jesus reached out and the exciting things will continue to happen when we decide that we are going to reach out. Those that are filled with the, His Spirit can still do amazing things when we are willing to reach so let's continue to be inspired by Jesus' reach. Let's keep on reaching. Let's be known as people that reach all those in the world. This is why we do it, so all those in the world can see, see that we believe in Jesus. And so that they can, they can say, I want to be like that. So I know, I know, I'm, I, you're, all this talking is probably getting you so tired, your arms are getting tired talking about reaching. But I want to end this morning by letting you in on one secret. Well, it's not really a secret, a secret because it's actually found in the world's best-selling and most widely distributed book in the world, the Bible. And it's one verse after the leprous man was healed. We miss it because we get caught up in all the action. So here it is in Luke chapter 5 and verse 16. It almost seems out of place, like it doesn't belong there. But if you have your Bibles, look at that verse. Luke chapter 5, verse 16, here it is. It says, But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. I don't get it. Action here, action there, action everywhere. And then all of a sudden, this one verse in verse 16. Jesus often withdrew to lonely places to pray. So I believe it's right there in the midst of all that action to teach us a great lesson about reaching out. This little verse, the secret to Jesus keeping His fervor for the Lord, staying energized for always being in the reach-out mode is right there. And look, church, it's not Red Bull. It's not Gatorade. It's not Powerade. 
or any other energy-promising drink. It's being connected to God. It amazes me that we all know what to do when our electronic devices are running low on juice. But we often forget what to do when our spiritual lives are running low. Jesus knew where battery charging took place. And I think, church, there's a danger that in all our reaching out, we might burn out. And we will. We will if we forget how to withdraw and how to pray in the midst of all this reaching out. It's an appropriate time for us to do that now in closing. As we leave this place, would you take some time to be still before God? And would you hear what He has to say about your life? So maybe you're new to our church this morning and have never heard a lesson from the Bible. I want you to know that one of the greatest reaches was done from above was God's attempt to reach out to us. So I'm three months away from becoming a father and I love all of you so much, but I think my reach would stop if I had to give my one and only son, it's not an announcement, could be a girl, but if I had to give that one and only son or daughter for you, I say I love you guys, but I, could, I couldn't do it. But this is what God did. He gave His one and only Son for you and me so we could be cleansed from our sin and be joined with Him in heaven. So what He did for the leper, check this out, He wants to do for you. He's still in the cleansing business, you know. He wants your story to be the leprous man's story. He wants each of us to realize how messed up we are. He wants us to turn to Him to admit our need for cleansing. See, we get cleansed when we make a decision to be baptized. We show God that we trust in His words and in Him. And I don't know how it happens. I just believe what the Bible says. If you are feeling like this is something you'd like to do this morning, I would encourage you to come forward as we stand and sing our closing hymn.